Good morning, church. Welcome to worship. Would you stand with us? Welcome to those joining us online. Worship with us, sing with us, pray with us, engage in worship. Worship the Lord together. The Psalms encourage us to sing a new song to the Lord over and over again. And this morning, as we've shared before, our team has been getting together and writing songs for our church, and we believe uh, that that is important, that we sing songs that speak about uh, our walk with the Lord and that confess what we believe, declare what we believe. And in a time where there's a lot of uncertainty, the Lord remains. There is a king that sits on the throne that will never be moved, that is not up for a vote, that remains the same yesterday, today, and forever. And our trust is in him, and his name is Jesus. Amen. So we're going to sing to him, listen to these words from the Apostle Paul when he says in 2 Corinthians 4, For what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory displayed in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. So we declare, not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name, Jesus, be all the glory. And the church says, amen, amen. Let's sing together to the King.
serve a good God this morning. We sing to a good God this morning. We declare that in this place in truth and in boldness, church. So let's continue to lift our voices together. Sing of his goodness. Come on. Each time I doubt your goodness, you show me you.
Jeremiah 10 says, no one is like you, Lord. You are great and your name is mighty in power. Who should not fear you, king of the nations? This is your due. Among all the wise leaders of the nations and in all their kingdoms, there is none like you. But God made the earth by his power. He founded the world by his wisdom and stretched out the heavens by his understanding. When he thunders, the waters in the heavens roar. He makes clouds rise from the ends of the earth. He sends lightning with the rain and brings out the wind from his storehouses. Everyone is senseless and without knowledge. Every goldsmith is shamed by his idols. The images he makes are a fraud. They have no breath in them. They are worthless, the objects of mockery. When their judgment comes, they will perish. He who is the portion of Jacob is not like these, for he is the maker of all things, including Israel, the people of his inheritance. The Lord Almighty is his name. What a mighty God we serve. He is the only one, there is none like him. We worship him this morning. He is worthy of our praise. As we sing. The wind is watching every gesture of your hand. Waves of fear collapse to your command. And I know tomorrow when the pressure rushes in, you'll be to rescue me again it's our god
you know how we know that God is uh, God Almighty. We know that God is Almighty because you are here today. We know that God is Almighty because you get to watch what we're doing and worship with us at home. We know that God is Almighty because you got to believe and He opened up your mind and your understanding and He gave you the gift of repentance and allowed you to believe. We know that God is Almighty because we're still alive and we get to blink. We, are, we know that God is Almighty because we have our loved ones with us. We know that God is Almighty because He's still in control. We know that God is Almighty because regardless of what we go through, regardless of what we encounter, regardless of what we suffer, God continues to be in control and God continues to be good. That's what we know that God is almighty. That's what we know. And that's why we worship him. And that's why we pray to him and rest in him. Let us pray. Oh, God almighty, when we say that you are almighty, we... We don't truly understand everything we're saying. And yet, it is true. We are grateful, Lord, that you are above and beyond our circumstances. We are grateful, Lord, that our circumstances do not determine who you are, not even who we are. We thank you, Lord, because you are good and powerful. You are so and so powerful, Lord, that you not only many times save us from our circumstances, but save us in the midst of our circumstances. Not only, Lord, you save us uh, from suffering, but even within and through suffering. We thank you, Lord, because we get to have you as our God. The God that never walks away. The God that never looks away. The God that is always with us and in us. The God that understands us. Lord, I don't know how many of us here today are struggling for different reasons. I, I don't know what the, what's the reality of us all today. But this I know. That regardless of what we're going through, Lord, we have you. And you are enough. Please allow us to see it and embrace it. Lord, we want to pray, Lord, uh, for our country. We pray, Lord, that you continue to work in this amazing, beautiful country you have given us. But we pray, Lord, that this country actually moves into the direction of giving you glory as well. That you use your church as agents of restoration, Lord, to proclaim the good news of the gospel and what the gospel does. It is also the reason why we're praying for the state of Illinois today. And I'm actually praying for all of our teachers that are part of the public school systems, Lord, as they are being challenged to compromise what they believe. I pray for your strength. I pray for your courage. I pray for your love. I pray, Lord, that you move against anything that will not give you glory and will not bring joy to your people and will hurt others. And now, Lord, prepare our hearts. As we want to be exposed to your word, may the Holy Spirit, the person of the Holy Spirit, be with us to illuminate our minds, to help us understand, to help us believe, and to help believe and apply the gospel. And we pray for all of this in the name of Jesus. And the church says, you may take a seat. Good morning, familia. Oh, my goodness. I know I haven't been here in a while, but come on. Good morning, familia. My name is Hannibal Rodriguez, one of the teaching pastors here in the church. And um, let me welcome you again, whether you're here physically or you are connected with us online. It is always a pleasure for us to be together and worship together. For the last few weeks, we have been going through this series, uh, which is based on a section of a scripture called, uh, known as the Upper Room Discourse, which is the five last hours Jesus spent with his disciples. 
uh, right before he goes to the cross. And during these last five hours, he is teaching them, the, he's teaching the disciples everything that they ought to know, everything that they ought to remember, and everything that they ought to practice once Jesus goes into the presence of the Father. Uh, and the topic today is interesting because one of the things that Jesus is going to teach the disciples right before he goes to the cross is this. That as Christians, as long as this world continues to be the way it is, that as Christians, as long as the world, as the world continues to be the way it is, we will all experience hostility, enmity, and opposition. The word that the Bible uses is the word persecution. So let me say it again. As long as we continue to live in this world the way it is, without Jesus returning yet, we will all, if you are a Christian, you will all experience hostility, enmity, and opposition. You will be persecuted. And you may say, wow, Hannibal, this is going to be an uplifting sermon. I'm so glad I made it to church today. This is the beauty of preaching the way we preach in this church. If it's in the Bible... We preach it, even if it's not appealing and cute. Today, then, we want to talk about this important topic. And I think it's actually important because if you are a, belie a believer, this actually explains why is it that we struggle so much and why life sometimes is so difficult as Christians, right? But I also think that it's important that you hear this so you won't be shocked, you won't be surprised, and you won't be discouraged when this gets to you. Because if it hasn't, it will. And if you are exploring Christianity, I also think that it's important that you hear this because it shows you that the Bible is completely honest of what it means to be a Christian. It's actually one of the reasons why I trust the Bible so much, because it is honest. It will talk to you about the beauties of Christianity, but at the same time, it will talk to you about the difficulties of Christianity. There is no other religion that does that, by the way. And Christianity is not a religion. So, to talk about this topic, we're going to be reading from John chapter 15, starting in verse 17. And we're going to go all the way to chapter 16, uh, the beginning of verse 4. John 15, 17 through 16, the beginning of verse 4. So if you have your Bible, could you please go there? If you don't have your Bible, don't worry. We're going to put those verses on the screen. Can you please stand for the reading of God's word as a sign of reverence to him and his word? If you are here with me, could you please say, I'm here. This is the word of the Lord, starting in verse, chapter 15, verse 17. This is my command, love each other. Can you say, love each other? If the world, if the world hates you, keep in mind that he hated me first. If you belong to the world... It will love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember what I told you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will, also, they will persecute you also. If, if they obeyed my teachings, they will obey yours also. They will treat you this way because of my name. For they do not know the one who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father as well. If I had not done among them the works no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. As it is. They have seen, and yet they have hated both me and my father. But this is to fulfill what it is written in the law. They hated me without reason. Verse 26. When the advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the father, the spirit of truth who goes out from the father, he will testify about me. And you also must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. Chapter 16, verse 1. All this I have told you so that you will not fall away. They will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, the time is coming when anyone who kills you will think they're offering a service to God. 
they will do such things because they have not known the Father or me. I have told you this so that when their time comes, you will remember that I warn you about them. This is the word of the Lord. Allow me to pray really quick. Lord, we need you to read your Bible and to understand it. Please, in your grace, do that. And we pray for all of this in the name of Jesus. And we all say, you may take a seat. Before I forget, um, you might want to keep Rob, Pastor Rob, in your prayers. Uh, You know that Rob likes to do crazy stuff. uh, And he's taking some time off with family. And he fell as he was trying to ski. He thinks that he can ski. That's the problem. And uh, he's got a surgery now going on in his shoulder. So please keep him in prayer. uh, And, you know, all of that stuff. All right, this text uh, tells us three things about opposition or persecution. It tells us that as Christians, we ought to expect it. Number two, that in order for us to deal with this, we need to understand it. And that at the end of the day, whether we like it or not, we have to face it. We have to expect it. In order to deal with this, we need to understand it. And at the end of the day, nobody escapes this, so we need to face it. I'm going to share with you how we face it. So let's go with the first point, we ought to expect it. Jesus makes this extremely clear right at the beginning of the text. Look at what it says in chapter 15, verse 18. He says, if the word hates you, look at that word hate there, keep in mind that he hated me first. In other words, if they hated me first, why wouldn't they hate you? Verse 20, remember what I told you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also Oh, they will persecute you also. Notice here that there's this this disconnection between hate and persecution. It says that the reason why people are persecuted is because they're hated. And that when you hate somebody, the result is to persecute that person. And this is a description of what it means to be a Christian. This is not for some Christians. This is not for some believers. This is the reality of what it means to be a Christian. If you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, this is for you. The question is why? Why is it that we experience these kind of things? Well, it's important that you pay attention to the word world there. Because when the Gospel of John talks, uses the word world, he's not talking about the physical world. He's talking about the world from a spiritual perspective. He's talking about the, the worldview and the set of values that this world, this world has that is completely different to our worldview and the set of values we have. And he says that part of the reason why we have this confrontation, if you will, Part of the reason why the world opposes everything that we believe and practice is precisely because of that. It's a different worldview, a different set of values, and actually this is also, uh, uh, this is also the reality. Anything that we believe and everything that we practice, it is seen by this world as offensive and restrictive. Once again, this is a spiritual thing. And it's important that you keep that in mind because even when someone is opposing you or persecuting you, you have to keep in mind that at the end of the day, the issue is not with you. It's with God. This is a spiritual opposition. What I find fascinating about this text, though, is that it tells you that not only Christians are persecuted or opposed by the secular world, that's kind of expected, but also by the religious world. Where do I get that from? Chapter 16, verse 2. They will put you out of the synagogues. Notice the religious imagery there. In fact, the time is coming when anyone who kills you will think they are offering a service to God. I find this one really interesting because when you claim to believe in Jesus... Other people that claim to believe the same thing you believe might struggle with the things you believe. They, you know, as a personal experience, you know, you struggle and you face opposition when you, when you challenge people's biblical convictions. When people say something or do something and you ask the question, where did you get that from? And there's no answer. There's opposition and persecution when you ask, 
when you tell someone, you might be putting your traditions before the Bible. If you do that, you will face opposition. If you ask the question, why are you taking these parts of the Scripture and not these parts of the Scripture? You will face opposition. When you tell someone, please do not add to the Scripture, do not subtract from the Scripture, you will add, you will experience opposition. You know, as Christians, Bible-believing Christians, that we believe that the Bible is inerrant and sufficient, you will experience that. This is why 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12 says this. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. If you want to live out your Christianity, you will be persecuted. Not just some of you, not just the really good-looking ones, not just the ugly ones. Everyone will face persecution if you want to live a godly life. That's why I think that in the last 30 years of this American Christianity, we have suffered so much of what I call this Christian utopia, in which we have heard by different scholars and pastors and people that Christianity is all about having good things, enjoying life, and we leave the suffering part out of the equation. You know how dangerous that is. This is part of the reason why people that thought that they believe in Jesus Christ, when things happen, they walk away from him. This might be part of the reason why some of you have questioned God many times, and maybe, maybe you walked away from him. Listen to what D.A. Carson says. Uh, we are so often taught to think that the Christian may bring blessing without buffetings, triumph without trials, Witness without weariness. We are encouraged to believe that Christianity displays overcoming joy and rarely face this, uh, this encouraging defeat. That they live in, an, um, in a land of, cost, uh, of constant excitement and never wrestle with boredom. That they love and are loved and need not confront persecution ostracism, exclusion, hate, rejection, and that they are self-confident and enthusiastic and never taste terror, loneliness, and doubt. That they are fulfilled and satisfied. This is the danger of promising a crown without a cross. Did you know that's part of the reason why the church oftentimes feels the pressure that we're supposed to be excited all the time. That your worship is exciting. Maybe, maybe we should read the book of Psalms, in which lamentations is an act of worship. Here, my brothers and sisters, if you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, this is your life. Merry Christmas! Now, the question is, why would Jesus say stuff like this? Well, once again, because he knows that in the midst of opposition, in the midst of persecution, there is this tendency. There is, this, there is the possibility of you wanting to walk away from the Lord. That's when chapter 16, verse 1 says, all this I have told you so that you will not fall away. The phrase fall away is one word in the original. It's scandalism. And, and it's the idea, this is where we get the word scandal. What he means is, when you face opposition, there's two possibilities, it says. Not only that you're going to be shocked, but there's a possibility that if you're not careful, you cease to believe. How many of you guys ever, you know, please don't raise your hand, okay? How many of you guys ever, in the midst of opposition and a struggle, you say, why, God? I didn't sign up for this. Yes, you did. You just didn't know. You got half of the message. Blame it on the guy that shared the gospel with you. Martin Luther King Jr. 
This man knew what this meant, obviously. He wrote a sermon, uh, he, he spoke of, a preached a sermon called Shattered Dreams. And he's trying to help this group of Christians that are fighting for justice and equality, racial equality. He's trying to give them something so they actually keep going. And he says in this sermon that there are three types of reactions when we face opposition or persecution. He says that one reaction is for you to experience bitterness or resentment. You know what that means? That when you face opposition, you start to hate the person that hates you. And what Martin Luther King Jr. says is that that's not the way it is. That's not what Christianity is all about. He says that the, 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 the other reaction is to experience or want to be detached from whatever situation. He says that this is the reason why people try to escape and become, you become a cynic or a pessimist. Oh, this is what it is. And he says that's not the Christian approach to opposition. And then the last way to, uh, the last way for, uh, to react is maybe that you become a fatalist in, in a way of saying, well, there's nothing we're going to do. Might as well let it go. And he says that's not the Christian approach. His approach actually is very different. He says you need to accept and expect that this is part of reality. He says that the answer lies in our, and I'm quoting, the answer lies in our willing acceptance of unwanted and unfortunate circumstances, and this end, even as we still cling, cling to a radiant and infinite hope. Notice here, he's not calling the church to pretend that nothing has happened, to run away, to become bitter and resentment and all of these things. No, he's saying acknowledge that this is painful, but, don't, but cling to the reality of your hope. Something similar to that is what Jesus is saying, don't you think? Don't be shocked, he says. Don't be surprised when you experience persecution from the secular and the religious world. Expect it. If they hated me, they're going to hate you. You cannot change that. Accept it. But don't lose hope. And don't walk away. I got something for you. So as Christians, no way to go around this thing. This is the reality of what it means to be a Christian in a broken world. Now, to deal with this, not only we need to know that this is what's coming, we need to understand it. This leads to my second point. And there are three specific reasons that Jesus says or explains why is it that we experience this thing. And I'm going to put it really simple for you guys. There are three main reasons in the text why is it that we should expect uh, persecution or opposition. Number one, we love different. Number two, we believe different. And number three, we have experienced something different. The reason why we experience persecution and opposition is because we love different, we have believed different, and we have experienced something different. Look at the love part here. Verse, chapter 15, verse 18. It says, if the world hates you, keep in mind that he hated me first. In other words, once again, don't expect you to experience something different than what Jesus went through. That would be foolish. Verse 19, if you belong to the world, it will love you as its own, as it is you do not belong to the world. You know what that means? That even though as Christians we are here, our hearts are somewhere else. That even though we experience life here, we love someone else. That it is normal for us to understand that our worldview, our ideas, our values, our convictions, our alliances, our priorities, our work ethic, and our relationships are not like the ones we have in this world. We think different. We live different. We value different things. We love a different person. It is ridiculous to think that living here, belonging to somewhere else, is not going to make a difference. Actually, let me, let me give you a, a, I think that this is a practical example that happened in my life in my first year as a Christian. First year as a Christian. To be honest, I don't think that any, anybody ever told me this when I became a Christian. I was one of those that said, well, I didn't sign up for this. 
But God that is good, he put me through a situation in which I, I actually learned really quick that this is how my life was going to be. First year as a Christian, I'm part of a soccer team, and we were known in this soccer team for two things. And I don't want to brag, but I'm going to. The first thing that made us known is that we were really good. So every other team hated us. And the second thing that people knew about us is that we liked to fight. Now, it's interesting. So I'm here in full disclosure because this is family. I was never the type of guy that would go to another guy and say, come on, you want some of this? I never did that. Actually, I was the fighter that mastered the skill of hit and run. <laughs> Let somebody else deal with that one. Um, actually, during, this, during that year, um, during my first year of Christianity, I actually made an under t-shirt that said, I play for Jesus. And when I was warming up, I'll make sure that people, everyone would see that I play for Jesus. Now, that looks ridiculous now, but it made a point back in those days. What happened is that I'm trying to live my Christianity in the field, right? Actually, the Lord has already spoken to me about this. He says, don't fight, don't say things, walk away, just play the game. Well, in one of those games, a fight broke out. Now, you got to remember that if you have been accustomed to a lot of things for a lot of years, as a new Christian, you still struggle with some of that stuff. And two guys come running to me. And my reaction was just to poo-poo. I, I didn't do that. But, you know, the two punches. Within seconds, church, within seconds, I feel this conviction and shame and guilt because I had told the Lord that I was not going to fight. Interesting. So imagine I'm a tough guy in the middle of a soccer field, and I start to weep in front of everyone. Of course, all of my friends is like, what's wrong with you? You won the fight. You didn't even run. But I had it within me. From that point on, my entire team made fun of me for the rest of the season. Actually, the following game, there was another fight. And I let the other guy punch the lights out of me. Jesus' way. <laughs> and they did not understand that either. That year, really quick, I learned that if I wanted to live out my Christianity, it would be costly. That year, I understood that I would be oftentimes misunderstood and rejected, and I will lose friends, and at times, I will be completely alone. That year, I understood that. Why? Because I don't belong here. I belong somewhere else. I don't love things here the way they are. I love someone else. It is because Christians love different that you will be persecuted. Number two, as Christians, second reason why you will face uh, opposition is because of the truth you hold. Chapter 15, verse 20. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they, would all, they will obey yours also. And this is the idea. If you believe that Jesus is who he, who he says he is, you believe that that is true. And if you believe that that is true, then you believe the teachings. And if you believe the teachings, then you obey those teachings. But the opposite is also true. If you don't believe that Jesus is who he says he is, then you don't believe his teachings. And if you don't believe his teachings, then you won't obey, you won't obey his teachings. Simple math. The idea here is that as Christians, we hold to a truth that nobody else holds to. We are in the middle, in the midst of a culture that does not believe in absolute truth, but we do. We live in the midst of a culture that thinks that everyone has their own truth. No, the Bible has the truth. We believe in the midst of a culture that, that believes that truth comes out of what you feel, 
know that truth is the truth. The truth of the Bible, the truth of what God says, the truth of what God already said. So if you hold on to this truth, you will be persecuted. You will face opposition. Check this out. You will be welcome when you say God is love. You will face opposition when you say God is also holy. You will be loved when you say God is love. And you will face opposition when you say God is also wrath. You will be welcome when you say God wants your happiness. But you will face opposition when you say God called you to die to yourself. You, you will be welcome when you say to somebody, God welcomes everyone the way they are, which is true. But you will face opposition when you say God is not going to leave you the way you are. You will be welcome when you say God wants to bless you. But you will face opposition when you say God wants your life. Actually, this week I was reading something from uh, C.S. Book, uh, C.S. Uh, Lewis' book, Mere Christianity. He's got a section there that when I read it, I said, this is why we get in trouble, because we believe this thing. This is what he says. God says to us, give me all of you. You don't want, uh, I don't want so much of your time, so much of your talent, so much of your money, and so much of your work. I want you, all of you. I have not come to torment or frustrate the natural man or woman, but to kill it. No half measures will do. I don't, want the only, I don't want to only prune the branch here and a branch there. Rather, I want the whole tree out. Hand it over to me, the whole outfit, all of your desires, all of your wants, all of your wishes, all of your dreams. Turn them all over to me. Give yourself to me, and I will make of you a new self in my image. Don't give me just part of you. Give me all of you. That's a truth we hold. That's why we will face opposition. Is that true of you? Is that true of you? See, we face opposition because we love different. We face opposition because we hold to this truth that is different. And we, hold, and we face opposition because we have experienced something different. Look at um, chapter uh, 15, verse 21. They will treat you this way because of my name. For they do not know the one who sent me. Chapter 16, verse 3. They will do such things because they have not known the Father or me. The reason why I use the word experience there is because on this side of the world, when we think that, when, when we talk about knowing God and knowing Jesus, we talk about like if this is only about information about God. The Bible never uses that word that way. To know the Father, to know Jesus Christ, to know the Spirit is to have experienced the Father the Son, through the presence and the person of the Spirit. It's an experience. Now listen up. That experience, only believers have it. So for you to expect that people would understand everything that you believe, is foolish. They have never experienced that. As Christians, we will be hated. We will experience opposition and persecution that ought to be expected because we love different, because we hold to a different truth, because we have experienced something different. That's the reality of what it means to be a Christian in the midst of this broken world. Let's pray. That would be a terrible way to finish that sermon. I want to argue that the reason why Christians don't, don't lose hope 
and are actually willing to go, willing to go through that pain is because we have what is necessary to face what is coming. Actually, if you are exploring Christianity, I'm also going to explain why is it that we want to do it. It is much easier to run. It's a different thing when you face the opposition. What is it that Christians have? What is it that Christians need to be able to face opposition? I'm going to give you three C's really quick. It took me like three hours to come up with these three names. Companionship, conviction, and a counselor. Companionship, conviction, and a counselor. If you want to learn how to face opposition and continue to live all your Christianity, the first thing you need is companionship. Look at what it says. This is my command. Love each other. And then he says, this world is going to hate you. Now, verse 17 is what, what you know, Bible people will call a transitional verse. Meaning that this verse is making some sort of connection between what happened before and what's coming uh, later. My conviction is that because this is a, a transitional verse, this command of loving one another can be connected to what happened before and is also connected to what we're talking about today. And this is the idea. Jesus says to believers, you are already going to experience opposition in the world. You are already going to be hated by the world, whether you like it or not. Make sure that you are surrounded by people, other believers, that will not hate you, but love you unconditionally. Actually, the word love in the text is to continue to love. So if you think that you can live your Christianity in the midst of opposition without other Christians, you are fooling yourselves. The only way we can continue to push forward is when we are surrounded by people that will help us carry our load. Love one another. The second thing that the Bible shows us here is that we need not just um, companionship, but we need conviction. And you also must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. The word testify is an interesting word there because in the original it has two meanings, but it goes hand in hand. Testify, obviously, is to share, to share with your words and to share with your life what you believe, the convictions you have. But the word also means, in the original, that you must be willing to give your life away for what you believe. To surrender your life to God for what you believe. And that's why I use the word conviction. Listen, conviction is more than an emotion. Conviction is something that is in here. Because of what the Bible says, it's in here. And regardless of what you face, and regardless of what you feel, and regardless of what you experience, and regardless of the people that you have with you and the people that you don't have with you, conviction holds you here. It's clinging to something, Martin Luther King would say. Cling to something. Cling to who God is. Cling to his promises. Cling to his nature. Cling to, cling to everything the Bible says about him. Cling. An illustration from a movie I watched long ago. I can't give you the name because you know, it's, it's a radar R movie. Um, the, 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 the actors say with something like that. People don't follow titles. They follow courage. And courage flows of your convictions. What you believe. In the midst of the storm, your convictions is what you hold on to. The problem is that if you don't know what your convictions are, you won't be able to face opposition. If you don't know what the biblical convictions are, you won't be able to survive. See, you need, com you need companionship and you need conviction, but there's one conviction that you need above everything else. Actually, it is the conviction that explains everything else. And that's why we also need 
a counselor. Obviously, in the text, the counselor is the Holy Spirit. It says, when the advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who goes out from the Father, pay attention to this, he will testify about me. And this is Jesus saying that one of the primary roles of the Holy Spirit is to testify about Jesus. That the only way we can survive, the only way that we can push through is when we cling to all these things that the Bible talks about, in a specific when we cling to the reality of who Jesus is, what Jesus did, and who we are to him. That's what we cling to. So listen, I, I, this is free, okay? This is completely free. When you struggle with opposition, all you have to do is go to the book of Ephesians chapter 1. And read through that, and meditate on that, and pray through that. And by the end of that, you will be ready to be courageous. Give it to you really quick. Verse 3, it says that in Jesus, we have all spiritual blessings. Verse 4 says that in Jesus, we have been chosen before the creation of the world. And we have been declared in Jesus holy and blameless. In verse 5, he says that in Jesus we are loved, predestined, adopted, and God takes pleasure in us. In verse 6, he says that in Jesus you have received and I have received the grace of God. In verse 7, says that in Jesus we have been redeemed and forgiven. In verse 8, says that in Jesus we have wisdom and understanding. In verse 11, says that in Jesus we have been chosen. In verse 13, he says that we have been included and saved. In verse 14 says that in Jesus, that because of Jesus, we have been sealed with the Holy Spirit and you are God's possession. In verse 15 says that because we are in Jesus, we are in, in line for an inheritance. And in verse 15, at the end, he says that all of that happened because God wanted to take his glory. That is the very thing that holds you in the midst of everything you face. That thing, that conviction is what you cling to time and time again. Do you know why is it that we love different? Because we have been loved different. Nothing in this world can give you that. Nothing in this world can give you that. That's why if the Lord calls me to open the door and experience opposition, I will. And you should too. Because at the end of the day, what I'm clinging to is worth it. Jesus is worth it. What he did for me at the cross is worth it. Who I am to him is worth it. Do you have that? Do you live like that? Let's pray. Holy Spirit, um, my prayer is that you reveal to us those areas in which we don't want to face opposition. I pray, Lord, that you reveal to us those areas that we are willing to compromise so we don't face opposition. And we ask for forgiveness. We ask, Lord, that you forgive us if we, if, we have not if we have not been able to testify the way we're supposed to because we are afraid of the pain and the suffering and the rejection. Please forgive us if we have allowed uh, bitterness and resentment to be in our hearts, Lord, and maybe what we have been trying to do is to run away from problems and become cynics or pessimistic. 
Lord, please forgive us if, if we developed and we embraced this fatalistic uh, approach to life in which, well, Lord, this is what it is. Lord, please forgive us. Lord, my conviction is that if we really want to make a difference in this world, we have to cling to the convictions we, we have. We have to embrace with all of our hearts, Lord, what it means to love you and that we have been loved by you. Please, Lord, allow us to have the conviction that your word is truth. That there's no mistakes or errors in the Bible, but also that it's sufficient. Please, Lord, please give us the relationships and the companionship so we can encounter and face life together. But most of all, Lord, I pray that you allow us to see and believe and taste how good it is what Jesus did for us at the cross and who we are to him. Lord, my conviction is that when we have that, we would actually, we would actually make a difference in this world. Because people follow courage and courage comes from conviction please lord make it happen and we pray for all of this in the name of jesus and the church says man church let's stand together let's sing this song let's anchor our hearts the truth the hope that we have in jesus Now the darkness fades into new beginnings As we lift our eyes to a hope beyond All creation waits with an expectation To declare the reign of the Lord our God We will not be moved when the earth gives way Silence breaks in the name of Jesus as the heavens cry, let the earth respond. And all creation shouts with the voice of triumph to declare the reign of the Lord our God. We will not be moved when the earth gives way.
Everybody, we now receive the blessing that Jesus Christ guarantees for us because he went to the cross, because he lived, died, and resurrected on our behalf. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face to you and give you peace. And the church says, thanks for coming. We love you. Church, you are sent.